the Red 78. The most important thing was the intensity and the mentality to go after the game. As a coach, why did he only give away nine penalties this week? Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. So unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Right, I'm very excited about this. Paddy Agnew joins us for this week's episode of You Had to Be There. Paddy, how are you? Good morning, Jer. I'm sorry, we're, we're a bit late here. We got carried away there with the stories of um, Paul McGrath's first defensive centre back partnership, which um, is a little slice of history. You have many slices of history in your five selections here, and uh, I'm very, very jealous, particularly the early ones here. Your first yeah. one is Diego Maradona in Naples yeah. in April yeah. in 1987, a game against Fiorentino. Tell us about this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I picked all, all these things, Jer, uh, obviously, because they were all. Uh, they weren't just good games they were games that uh, in some shape marked a, a historic moment in, uh, in in football and for me also there, you know I think we all tend to feel the things that we saw when we were young uh, were always better than anything you see today uh, so they have huge significance for me because I spent a lot of those early uh, years uh, following uh, Diego uh, Armando Maradona and down in Naples. Now, now that day, the day of, uh, we're talking about May 1987, uh, I remember um, as we uh, pu- pulled into the train station in, in uh, Naples, I was uh, sitting in a carriage with a couple of American tourists and they looked out the window and they said, oh, goodness, what's happening? You know, uh, because the entire Naples was... Um, decorated in blue uh, flags and uh, we had uh, big posters all over the place saying we are the champions I mean they weren't actually the champions yet but they were taking it for granted they were going to win uh, and you know the, the atmosphere I think it's only fair to say that not since the American troops arrived at the end of the Second World War in 1945 had you seen uh a more uh, significant day in uh, Neapolitan history because uh, they were uh, about to win their first ever title uh, and it was a sort of coming of age and uh, uh, for uh, an always underprivileged South and particularly a, a, a city like Naples that never come close to uh, winning a uh, title. When, when did you move to, to Italy, Paddy? No, I moved to Italy in uh, 1986, December 85, January 1986. Uh, and, you know, Maradona was already there and he was already doing extraordinary things. And it was very, very quickly became, you know, the biggest story, that, uh, uh, by far the biggest football story that I covered uh, in those years. Am I right in saying that your main beat was actually like the Vatican and Italian politics, but the football was kind of a sideline that you managed to turn into a much more important part of your role? No, it wasn't. I mean, I was um, not quite right because I, I had been a sports editor of the Sunday Tribune in Dublin. I'd written about sport for McGill. Uh, and uh, I'd started off as a sports journalist. Um, but, you know, since I, when, you're, when you're living as a freelance in a place like Italy, uh, you're going to s- sell what stories you can sell. 
And um, I'd chosen to come here because I thought, well, there'll be a lot of interest in Italian football. But I had also thought, yeah, there could be a bit of interest in, in the Vatican. And yeah, I've, as, as the years gone by, um, I've uh, done an awful lot of politics and news stories and Vatican stories. You caught the... Uh, it was a good time to move to, to, to Naples, Paddy, and, and to Italy. But uh, like... And anyone who's seen the films on, on Maradona, like, will know that he. he I mean, he, he was revered anyway before the '86 World Cup. But what? Yeah. How did it change then after the World Cup in '86? Was it? Was it almost? It's almost godlike after that. And I'm sure the the, well, the reception around Maradona changed before and after that World Cup. Well, well Shane, it, it was godlike. And let, let me just tell you this: one of the things that uh, you know in in the build up to that. Uh, uh, that, that that game against Fiorentina, the day they won the first title, uh, there was a, a, a prayer that appeared on uh, in shops all around uh, uh, Naples, and it said, uh, "It basically, I mean, it's, it's blasphemous, but I mean, I apologise to anybody who got offended by it." But he said, "Our, our Maradona, who takes the field, uh, we have hallowed thy name. Thy kingdom is Napoli. Lead us not into disappointment." But deliver unto us the title. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I mean, he was, uh, yeah, he was uh, a godlike figure to uh, I think, uh, a lot of the, the Neapolitan fan. Pope John Paul II was the Pope at that point, wasn't he? So he was he was a football man. I think he, he was a goalkeeper when he was younger. So he, he, I don't think he would have caught a blasphemous. I think he would have understood, Paddy, potentially. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I hope I hope so. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, the great thing about this era is that it's not just defined by Maradona, even though he was the preeminent footballer in the world and the best footballer in the world, because at the same time, Silvio Berlusconi decides to turn AC Milan into the greatest football team in the world. And he's looking at the great young uh, Dutch footballers who are coming through. We talked a little bit about um, Joey Malone playing against Marco van Basten for Ajax he signs for AC Milan at the same time basically the Italian league is the best league most important football league in the world at this point and all of the best players are gravitating towards two or three teams at those um, at, at that time absolutely you had uh, you had above all you had uh, Maradona you had Platini at Juventus you had the Dutch lads uh, Van Basten and Hull going to uh, AC Milan you had Zico uh, Zico played for Udinese believe it or not so you had you had in those days it was the Hollywood of football, and it was you know it was what the Premiership is today. You know, uh, everybody wanted to play there, but uh, that um, uh, go through. We've got two games here, two Napoli games. That April '87, the day they won the title, they beat Fiorentina, uh, and uh, you know it wasn't I, 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 the excitement around the game was incredible. I don't remember the game as being a great game, uh, but. Um, you know, Napoli scored a, the Carnival scored a goal early on for Napoli uh, and then a 20 year old who I'd never seen before who most of us hadn't seen before called Roberto Baggio steps up for Fiorentina and he scored a brilliant free kick goal and you thought, Jesus, that can play a bit. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, that was his first ever Serie A goal. It was a great day to score your first ever Serie A goal. Um, but after after but the, sec the second half of the game, so it was one, one and a half time, the second half of that game uh, was basically uh, um, Fiorentina didn't, it meant nothing to Fiorentina at that point, whether they basically won, lost or drew because they were in mid-table. And um, 
basically both sides uh, laid down their swords in the second half and they we waited we wait, waited for the game to get to an end for the uh, the whole stadium to go absolutely mad and the person who went mad was Maradona because he um, he didn't come off the pitch for a long time and I remember watching him you know very very closely he walked to he walked right around the pitch and he stopped about four or five times uh, in different points and stood there with his chest stuck out, arms wide open, blowing kisses uh, to the, the Napoli fans. Uh, and, you know, uh, after the game, I remember he, he said, well, you know, this is different. This is better than the World Cup I won in Mexico last year because uh, that was in Mexico. Uh, here, you know, I'm uh, all my family's here. Uh, the city of Naples are with me because I consider myself a son of Naples. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was that was absolutely true. I mean, he was a son of Napoli. There's no question of that. The, then, 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 then a year later, Jerry, we had we had Napoli again in the the centre of what might be a passing on the baton because that AC Milan side that was uh, uh, the had been bought over in 1986 um, by the media tycoon Silvio Berlusconi. Uh, there. Uh, that investment was being realised, and they came down to uh, they came down to Napoli. They needed to uh, w- Napoli were still leading the uh, lead on the day they met, but it was like I think the third last day of the season. Uh, but um, you know they were a very very good team. Um, Virdas got a goal for them very early on, and then Maradona scored a fantastic free kick to make it one one. Uh, and then we get into the second half, and we had two sort of similar moments. Hullet uh, uh, twice uh, picked up balls just inside his own half and made made one of those great runs of his. Uh, the first time he set it up for Rodriguez to make it two uh, one, and then the second time he set it up for Van Basten. And the interesting thing about that was that Van Basten at that point was relatively unknown, in it, even in Italy, even though he'd been here for the whole season, because he had um, injury problems. Uh, and so it, it was a, like an amazing moment for him to come on and score the goal in a game like that. Um, and, and, and a small thing I remember after the game, we're talking about 1988 now, and uh, there were no mobile phones and there were... Uh, there was no satellite TV. It was a different world. And I was in the press room and all the little phone booths filing my copy. And who was in the booth beside me uh, but Adriano Galliani, the uh, managing director of Milan, a longtime friend and, and, and uh, ally of Silvio Berlusconi. And I heard Galliani, <laughs> I delight to hear this, I heard Galliani saying, ah, uh, can I speak to Dr. Berlusconi? And um, there's a bit of a pause, and then he says, "Silvio, è andato bene, molto, molto bene." Wow! <laughs> it, 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 it went well, Silvio, <laughs> which it certainly had done. It had gone very well. <laughs> so even Silvio Berlusconi, owner of like satellite TV companies, couldn't get a, a, a dodgy feed no. of the game. Uh, no, in those days, in those days, wow. uh, th- there was no there was no live coverage. Wow, that's um, like, and this is obviously just months before uh, Van Basten announces himself as the best centre forward in the world at the Euros yeah. by like yeah. you know absolutely sensational goal in the final that we all remember. 
Yeah. Um, if, yeah. memory, if memory serves, it's Arnold Muren who crosses that over. Who, That's sure, correct. Yeah. Joe, Joe Malone's talking wing. about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fantastic goal. One it's almost like goal. we planned this show today for <laughs> for these bits all to follow. Um, that rivalry between those two clubs is quite explosive. There's also a memory in my mind of like. Uh, at least two of the three Dutch players getting sent off and taking their tops off and throwing them into the crowd. Is that like the 1990 season where there's kind of, where Naples, the the, the Napoli team drew fire from AC Milan and drove them on to the greatness that we then saw at at European level? Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's also the 1990 season was controversial because uh, Napoli uh, picked up a point for having one of their players, they, they lost a game, I think it was against Atalanta, and they picked up then a point because uh, the Football Federation intervened and, and, and gave them uh, uh, a point for uh, the fact that one of their players, De Napoli, it was Fernando De Napoli, had been hit by a coin thrown by a fan, and so they changed the result of the match. And that point obviously made the difference. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the Milan fans always said it was, you know, Napoli hadn't deserved to win the title that year. Um, I can see why that would uh, lead to certain uh, <laughs> bad words. Certainly did, yeah. Um, yeah and curiously enough, Jerry, it's worth worth pointing out that uh, that rivalry is still very strong. The two strongest sides in uh, Italy at the moment are, are, are Napoli and, and they see Milan, you know. Both have done very well in the Champions League again this week. Napoli are sensational to watch at the moment. Like one Napoli the, are sensational. Yeah, one of the most exciting teams in world football at the moment. Uh, let's move on to that night in Turin where I think Roy Keane's yeah. legacy in world football terms is sealed. Like we obviously, from an Ireland perspective, think of the World Cup qualifying campaign, his games against yeah. Portugal and Holland in particular. But for Manchester United yeah. fans, this is the, the high watermark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, and can I tell you something again on a personal note? I had, you know, I've been here since 86. I'd never seen Roy Keane play. Uh, it was the first time, one of the few times actually, was at the, at the stadium uh, to see him play. But, you know, that was a strange, a remarkable game because few teams come to uh, Turin, uh, go, ten, go two goals down after 10 minutes and live to tell the tale. But there was a funny thing about that game because even when they were 2 nil down, you had the suspicion, uh, you had the feeling that they weren't out of it. Um, and, you know, sure enough, they, they had, uh, you know, they they, uh, they played some very, very good football. Uh, and, you know, uh, by halftime, it was 2-2. Uh, it was York, York and uh, who was scoring? Who scored the other one? Cole, I think. Cole, yeah. Andy Cole. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, um, it, the, the man who's who put put them back in the game was Keen. It was his. He he scored the first goal. That's right. Yeah, a, a header from a corner, uh, and Keen was involved in everything uh, United were doing. I mean, he was uh, he, he absolutely in control of the midfield. He was absolutely um, uh, he was very good in defence. Uh, I mean, he was a terrific player. I don't have to tell you that, but. Uh, what what uh, I remember was that from the moment he scored that headed goal, you had the feeling that Juventus were worried about him, <laughs> and uh, they, they they weren't uh, they weren't comfortable. So there was a sort of inevitability about it uh, uh, when um, you know the the the, 
got uh, got their winner uh, in, in the second half. Clive Tilsley. But, but what the point the point about two two of course as I remember was that the away goals rule meant that they were already in the final at two two United. The, the, so, like the Paddy, the commentary I guess from Clive Tilsey is famous for a lot of people who were watching on TV. Um, but then Roy Keane with the captain's goal for Manchester United, and I think it was full speed ahead Barcelona when Cole scored the the last one. Um, but w- like w- his dominance was obviously apparent if you're there on the night. Like what what was the atmosphere like? There was a, a decent travelling United support, judging by the the videos watching it back. But and there was there was no, it was a great it was a great atmosphere, no question of that. Uh, and you know the United. Uh, uh, silence the uh, Turin fans, the Juventus fans, to a certain extent. I, I remember one thing I remember about afterwards was that um, uh, when the players came out, um, we got to talk to Roy Keane, and I remember, uh, you know, he. You remember he got a, a second yellow card and he had to miss the final against Bayern Munich, and um, you know anybody in that situation, you could. Uh, you would have, wouldn't have been surprised if they'd said some unpleasant things about the referee or they had expressed their huge disappointment they're not being at a final, for God's sake. I mean, it would sicken you. But um, King was very self-controlled. Um, he was very... And he was very fair. And he said, you know, the, the, I remember saying, ah, the great thing is, OK, you know, uh, um, I, knew, I knew this could happen coming here. Um, I've said it before, I'm not going to tip... Th- Tiptoe through matches, which was a, a great version of Roy Keane. He's never tipped through, tiptoed through any match in his life or anything. Uh, <laughs> but you know, he said, um, "I remember. I, said, I knew, I knew before the game that a booking could rule me out. Uh, but I can't do anything about that now. And it doesn't matter. I'm delighted that were the the clubs in the, the final in uh, Barcelona against Munich." Can I just point out as well to everybody the the midfield that he was up against was uh, Captain Antonio Conte, that Antonio Conte, yeah. Uh, yeah. Didier Deschamps, Edgar Davids, Angelo Delivio, and Zidane dropping in to pick up balls deep. Yeah, uh, behind yeah. behind Pippo and Zaghi. So like decent look. Yeah, yeah. no, it was a fantastic Juventus team. It was a good team. Uh, so you had to be you had to be on your a, a game to uh, defeat them. I think one of the things that. Um, uh, I think the pace of that Man United side sort of caught a, a number of the your European rivals off guard that season. You know, they played with a lot of pace. They knocked it around very fast, and yeah. uh, uh, and um, you know, uh, York in particular front gave Juventus a lot of problems that night. Yeah, Keane's athleticism was explosive in a way that maybe. Uh, people don't really notice because he gets the ball from the centre back he passes it to the right back he gets it back and he passes it again but it was explosive in over 10-15 yards which gave him when he was running on when he was running past a centre midfielder or past a defender all of a sudden like hang on how did he get there so uh, Paddy I've got to move on your last two selections are both international football the first yeah. one is June 2000 at the Euros and it's France versus Spain uh, I don't remember this too much what, what was the story here? <laughs> Well, no, I, the, one of the reasons I stuck this one in is because uh, I was thinking a lot of people wouldn't have seen it, but I was lucky to be at the game. It was an absolutely fantastic game. France uh, beat Spain 2-1. It was one of those games in which you just couldn't believe the quality of the football you were watching. Um, you know, in particular, uh, Zidane again for, you know, it was the, uh, the great French side of the day. Uh, and, uh, you know, Zidane opened the opened the uh, festivities with a fantastic free kick goal. Um, 
Mendieta then got a penalty for uh, Spain. It was, uh, and then Jorkov got a fantastic goal just before half time. Jorkov, um, who was playing for Inter at the time, and uh, throughout then the second half, it it, it it remained that way until we were actually in injury time when Spain got a penalty and they could have uh, taken the game into uh, uh, extra time. Uh, Raul took the penalty and he blasted high over the bar and uh, France had gone through. But uh, the reason I picked that game was um, the drama The drama of, 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 of that missing that penalty in the end, the excitement of it, but just the quality of the game. And I remember talking to Mark Lawrence and afterwards um, and... Uh, I said to Mark, uh, God, Mark, I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know much about football, but that looked to me like an absolutely fantastic game. And he said, Oh God, that was a tasty one. That was a very, very good game. Uh, I mean, it, 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 there was a lot of quality there. But you know, if you look at the uh, uh, the um, the film of the game now, uh, one one thing. <laughs> well, I'm sure will make Manchester City fans uh, amused. You see. Uh, a, a, a certain Guardioli playing and playing really well in that game. But at a certain point in the second half, he whacks down Jorkiv and gets himself a yellow card because Jorkiv was in very good form and he had to be taken down. So, uh, old Pep Guardiola, the great uh, lover of the, the beautiful game, he was also capable of knocking a man down if he had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do whatever it takes. That's, of course, the same Spain team who knock us out of the World Cup two years later. So I'd say people yeah, will yeah. be pretty familiar with it. That's quarterfinal stage of, of uh, Euro 2000. That's that France team kind of expressing themselves, having unburdened the whole country by winning the World Cup in 98. And then um, they go on. That's the golden goal final, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I was at that too, obviously. And I definitely remember thinking that night that this golden goal is not a good thing, you know, because that, that game... Uh, Italy had a won and should have uh, held on to win. And very untypically for an Italian side, they, they conceded a late equaliser to France. And from that moment on, you thought that Spain were, or that uh, France would win. But um, your last one. I remember, I remember on. the, sick, the sickening feeling we got when that uh, uh, the winning goal went in. Not, I mean, not just Italians got the sickening feeling, but there's a feeling of it's not doesn't seem right that the yeah, match yeah. is not over just because that goal has gone in, you know? Yeah, it was the the uh, the virus of Americanization had infected football. Yeah. And we're like, oh, we have to do this. That's what they do in American football, and everything's great there. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. no, no, yeah, yeah. it's not. Uh, th- this last one, um, I think I've only met you in person once, Paddy, and it was the summer of two thousand and six. Um, I was touring around Germany for the World Cup, and it was kind yeah. of the end of the group stages. And we met you, and you were like, oh, I think this Italian team. There's something about them. I was like, no, you you've just been living there too long. You've got uh, um, Stockholm Syndrome and you were 100% correct there was something brewing from that Italian team over the course of the tournament and I think it finds full expression in your final selection here which is the World Cup semi-final against Germany yeah, yeah no, it's a great game but let, let me tell you one thing Ger about my prediction I, I wrote a book that year Forza Italia about Italian football and it came out just before the World Cup and in my last uh, in the original version of it my last chapter I imagined the World Cup final, and I had France playing. I had uh, France playing Italy in that World Cup final in my book, right? right? And my editor said to me, "I are in Egypt. You can't do that. Your France and Italy won't get to the final. For God's sake, you can't. Right? We look stupid." And I, I thought about it and thought, "Well, it's probably right. Of course, they won't get the final." But 
Um, I did think Aitken would do quite well. Uh, <laughs> however, he took it out when I wrote uh, uh, a less uh, uh, outrageous uh, uh, final. But th- that night, though, at the uh, uh, Westfalen Stadium in uh, Dortmund, you know, was um, I know I don't know how many of our listeners have been to the Westfalen Stadium, but it's one of the great uh, stadia of European football and uh, German football. It's a, a tremendously big stadium, tremendous atmosphere. Uh, and watching Germany playing a World Cup semi-final there, it, you know, Italy were up against it. It was a serious battle. Um, and it was very, very tough. Uh, and that team, uh, that Italian team, surprise, surprise, um, you know, uh, were, uh, they got through it with their determination and, and above all their defensive uh, quality. Now, if you want to pick out an outstanding player that night, I'd pick out uh, Cannavaro. Uh, their captain, their central defender. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I'd forgotten about, I mean, uh, uh, that game, was, I looked at the highlights of the match last night and forgotten that both the goals in that game uh, came uh, in the last two minutes of extra time. Yeah. It's, it's Grosso. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. We were we were all getting ready for the penalty, weren't we? <laughs> and Grosso's, it's probably one of the, the best celebration you'll ever see in person, Paddy, as well. At the famous uh, run down the sideline with the hands outstretched, the most Italian of celebrations, and he's in tears <laughs> as well. It was unbelievable. It was fantastic. But you know, right? I, 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 there's another thing, reason why I um, I, I love that because the, the that match, um, the. Uh, second goal, the goal in the 120th minute was Del Piero. And that came from a, a, a German corner. Canavara burst out of the area and knocked it forward. Uh, Totti picked it up. He knocks it right to Giardino. And Giardino then plays a really clever sort of no-look uh, pass to uh, Del Piero, who curls it beautifully past uh, Lehman, I think it was the goalkeeper, uh, for the second goal. And um, what I remember about that was, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, the, the disappointment of Euro 2000 when France had beaten um, Italy, uh, one of the disappointments of that game was that Del Piero in the second half of that match had the chance to wrap it up for Italy uh, and he'd missed it and he got slagged and criticised and people were always reminding him how he didn't win the European Championship for us in 2000, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he laid that ghost that, that night in Dortmund because he sealed up the World Cup for them. Yeah, and uh, what, a, what a final that was with um, Zidane and the headboard as well. My recollection of the night specifically wasn't, you, you picked a defender and a, um, a forward. The two midfielders, that uh, Andrea Pirlo and Gennaro Gattuso oh, yeah. I, was, I think it's the greatest game Gattuso's ever played he was sensational but Pirlo there was just this mag- magnetism that they were able to control the ball and take the sting out of the Germans and the German crowd who kind of were not fully behind the team at the start of the tournament and then all of a sudden had yeah. kind of erupted they got, they got behind them yeah yeah yeah, and, um, and they didn't expect to go that far and here all of a sudden they were on the brink and it was like oh yeah. typical Germans but yeah, yeah. The, the whole thing was just taken out of them by the two geniuses in midfield as well. So um, that that's also on my list of uh, you had to be there. It's um, all-time great well, sporting. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Pirlo, I mean, I'm glad they mentioned Pirlo because he was like uh, you know, the great genius of that Marcello Lippi side. He was a wonderful player. Uh, and, and uh, you know, he, he did... Uh, do you remember his uh, penalty against England in the <laughs> European Championships? <laughs> Two years later, you know. Paddy, we're unfortunately out of time, but that was an absolutely brilliant episode of You Had to Be There. Thanks so much for sharing those with us.
You're most welcome. This is so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moment. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.